mute button. What about now? All right. All right. If you have your book, uh, go ahead and get it out. We're going to be really on the last lesson in this book, although it's not the last lesson. <laughs> Brother Sam asked me to swap with him last week, and I did. We're going to be on lesson 25. Lesson 25. If you've read over this lesson, uh, I hope you found it as uh, informative as I did. Uh, I have taught on this type of subject before. Uh, I'm probably going to be following the book closer than I have on any of the lessons we've taught out of this book. Brother Brownlow did an excellent job boiling this down to the things that need to be brought out in a lesson like this. Now, the things that he talks about, you can go on Apologetics Press website, you can go on others, and there's whole papers written on individual topics that he touches on. Because if you notice, the title of this lesson is, What is Man? Now, that refers to uh, Job 7.17. And, you know, uh, I think it was uh, whoever taught Wednesday night, Larry said we prefer to Job several times, and we have here recently. We know the story of Job. You can understand the suffering he was going through, and as part of that suffering, if you look at Job 7.17, it says, What is man that thou shouldest magnify him, and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him? If you think of everything he's going through, he's saying, you know, why? What is man? You know, and it says here, Brother Brandlow says, that's a question. Of course, Psalms 8, 4 says the same thing. What is man? He said, that's an important question that a lot of people have asked. He said, matter of fact, every thoughtful man asks that question. What is man? Think about it. What other book do you know of that can tell us about mankind? Where he came from? What his purpose is while he's here? And where he's going when this life is over. I'm talking about with authority. Because the Bible does that. It's been proven to be true. And the Bible covers all those things. Now you can get psychology books and you can get history books and you can get all sorts of things. But they don't answer those three questions that are very pertinent to mankind. Where did I come from? Why am I even here? What am I supposed to do while I'm here? And then... Where am I going after this life is over? Because we can look around us. And unless Christ comes back, there's no way to get out of this alive, is there? We're all going to die. You know, we're all going to die unless Christ returns before we do. So there's no way to get out of this alive. So that's a very important question. And uh, I'm going to read. I usually don't read verbatim. But I'm going to read verbatim. Number two paragraph to you. So if you have your book, go ahead and look at it. And I want you to think about everything that's said in this very short little paragraph. He starts out with some misconceptions. Brother Brian Lowe is going to talk about some misconceptions about what is man. To the ambitious warmonger, man is only cannon fodder. Think about that. I know if you've been alive long, you've watched war movies and this type of thing, and 
you know, when people are getting slaughtered on the front, well, they want reinforcements, reinforcements, send more, send more. Not just this cannon fodder. That's all they are. If, if you're a, a general and you're fighting a war, you don't think about those men in any other way, but hey, I got to have them up front right now. We're running out. Okay? To the evolutionist, man is the product of some lower form of life. Some men get more joy out of trying to prove that they are descendants of a baboon than they get from the thought that they are children of God created in his image. Now think about that. They spend their whole life trying to prove that they're kin to an ape or some lower form of life. And that's supposed to be a great achievement if they can prove that. Instead of acknowledging, as the Bible teaches, that God created you in his image. Then he says, uh, to many schools of religionists, man is by nature a child of Satan, positively inclined to evil, and therefore under just condemnation to eternal ruin without defense or excuse. Now he quoted part of that from the Baptist Church Manual, J.M. Pendleton, page 46. He tells you exactly where he got it. Many religious bodies believe that. That man, because of the fall and the garden, Adam and Eve, that man is thus fallen. Many teach that children are born in sin. He's going to discuss that a little later on too. And that there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing you can do about it. It has to be all on God. The Holy Spirit has to act on you before you can even respond to God's call. There's nothing you can do about it. You're totally depraved. That's what a lot of religionists teach about mankind. Then he says, to sectarians in general, man is a law unto himself, whereby he makes a thing right by thinking it is right. This would make a God of every man. Now, this, uh, I've, I've referred to this, before. he wrote this book in 1961 is when it's copyrighted. That last sentence is it not as pertinent today as it was then or even more so? People identifying themselves as things they can't be because God has made you a certain way. But you can identify that way and that makes you that. No, it doesn't. Okay? Makes you a liar. All right? If you try to live up to that and say I'm one thing when I'm not. But as he said, that makes it right. Well, if it does then whatever you think and whatever you want to be, that makes you a God unto yourself. I, I can, is that not what mankind wants today? And probably always has. To be a God unto himself. And if changing, thinking you can change from one gender to another, I won't get into a lot of that stuff. If that's not thinking you're God, where else can you go, you know? I mean, my goodness. God, in the beginning it says, Two, male and female. It'll always be that way. No matter what mankind tries to do to himself, it'll always be that way. All right? But it's very interesting that, that those are some concepts, some misconcepts of, uh, of, about man. Look at point three. He says from one viewpoint, man is very insignificant. Think about that. You think about the animals we have. He mentions the whale. 
He mentions the California redwoods, the physical strength of an elephant. We don't, have, we don't live as long as the redwoods. We're not as strong as an elephant, okay? We're not as big as a whale or as strong as... It. We're very insignificant as far as you look at the animals created in the world. If we are on their level, boy, they're a whole lot better than we are. They're a lot stronger than we are. They can do a whole lot more than we as far as strength goes. The redwood, the trees live longer than we. Doesn't have to be a redwood to live longer than we. You know, you plant a you plant an oak tree, and they're probably going to leave you. So you know, we're insignificant in some people's eyes. And then he gets down to, but let's look at what God says about man. And this is where he gets into the meat of his lesson. What does the Bible say about man? Because you just step back and think about all the stuff we just discussed. You'll have one viewpoint. You can take that viewpoint and run with it. Many people do. I, you know, I don't know how what the percentage is in the United States right now, but I dare say it's a whole lot more than it was when he wrote this book about people that view man in a very insignificant way and not... Um, just not on the level that God sees man. Now, he says, point two, major point two, man was made a dual being, flesh and spirit. Now, you, you've heard that. You know that before. Matter of fact, he, he talks about the terrestrial part of man, Genesis 2, 7, God formed man of the dust of the ground. That part's disposable. We know that. That's the part that's going to die. That's the part that's going to go back to the earth. We came out of the earth. That part is going back to the earth. Is that all you are, though? Is that your essence? Think about that compared to animals. That's their essence. They were formed like that. When they die, they go back to the earth. Is there any other part of them? That's it, you know. Like the man said, you're like a rover. When you're dead, you're dead all over. Well, that's what rover is. But you're not rover. You know, yes, you have that terrestrial fleshly being. We have to survive on this earth like the animals that were created also. So we have a fleshly body that allows us to live in this world God created. But unlike animals, we have that next point. We have a celestial nature. God formed man, but then he breathed into man the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Now notice when he started talking about what man really is, he started giving the scriptures, didn't he? Did you notice in those first two points that I read, point two and point three up there, under the introductory thoughts, there was not a scripture mentioned. People that believe that, they don't, they don't believe in the Bible, do they? Because if they did and they would go to these scriptures, they would see what God thinks about mankind. Now, think about it. God breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living soul. That's your essence. That's the part that's going to live on forever. You know, death is described as separation of the body and the soul. Okay? It is. You think about it. You know, mankind, and, and rightly so in some sense, this is what we know, Mankind is concerned about his fleshly body and how long he's going to live and those kinds of things. But if you think about it, how long is your essence going to live 
when you're born. Well, we all live the same amount of time. From the time we're born, we're going to live forever. This body won't. This body won't live forever. But that soul you have will live forever. You may live 50 years of it here. We call that dying young. You may live 110 years of it here. We call that dying old. But the soul in both of those bodies goes on to live forever. Somewhere. Heaven or hell. It's going to be forever. So once we're born, we all live the same amount of time. Forever. Some of it's here. The vast, vast, vast majority of it is going to be somewhere else. But yet, a lot of people put the most emphasis on what? This life. What we have here. And again, I say that's kind of understandable because this is all we know right now. This is all we've seen. The only evidence we have there's something else is what we read in the Bible. That's why it's important that we understand that the Bible is from God, that it is the Word of God. He is our Maker, and that we can study it and understand more about ourselves. As I said, no other book does that. We can understand more about ourselves and what's going to happen in the future than we can any other book. Uh, point three. He makes a big point there. Man is the only one created in the image of God. Think about all the other animals you know of on this earth. Fleshly beings that exist here. They formed in the image of God? No. They're not formed. Now, it doesn't mean that he makes a point at the top of the page. It doesn't mean that we look like God. We know God's a spirit. He doesn't have flesh and bones. But it's talking about our essence, our internal self, our soul, our spirit. That is made in the image of God. Yes, we have, and boy, does he do a great job going through all the qualities that separate us from every other being on this earth. And I'm, like I said, I'm going to stick with it because if I don't, I'm going to miss something. Look at the top of page 139. Uh, he said this refers to the spiritual image of God. He refers to John uh, 4, 24. God is a spirit. A spirit hath not flesh and bones. Luke 24, 39. We've talked about that. And then look at point two. Here's one of the first things. Man has been given an intellect with which he, number one, he thinks. Matthew 9, 4. You know, I, I put these scriptures in here. I think there's like 59 scriptures he has in this whole lesson. That's a lot of scriptures. You know, it's chock full. We won't, we're not reading them all, of course. Matthew 9, 4 says, And Jesus, knowing their faults, said, Whatever think ye evil, or uh, wherefore think ye evil in your heart. We think. We can think. Because God gave us an intellect. Okay? We can think. And then he says we can reason. Look at uh, Mark 2, 3. Or Mark 2, 8. says, And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Now can a dog do that? Think and reason. No, he has instinct. He reacts to stimuli. But he doesn't think his way through it and reason his way through it. You know? You know, uh, you know if you got two dogs there and you got a hunk of meat there and a dog that's just starving to death comes up and the other dog's been well fed, that well fed dog doesn't care a whole lot, does he? He's still going to fight for that meat. Yeah, he doesn't think. He doesn't reason. That other dog may need that more than I do. No, they don't think and reason like that. 
They do, you know, they're, 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 they react on instinct. Mankind, we think, we reason. And then he says, man also understands because of that intellect. Matthew 13, 15, he says, For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. So we can understand. We can think. We can reason. And we can process that information, and we can understand. Animals can't do that. We're not animals. We're human beings. We're fleshly beings on this earth. We have to live here. But we're not on the level of animals. And then uh, he makes a point we can believe. Romans 10.10 says, For the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Animals can believe? No. They just react. They don't go through this thinking process that mankind goes through. And then I think there's a little good point here. He said, man is the only one of God's creations endowed with the intellectual and volatile powers of self-cultivation. Think about that. He uses the bee as an example. A bee made honey just as good a thousand years ago as he does now. Has he improved anything? No, he's still doing the same thing. Then he says, you know, you think about a monkey. Uh, a monkey hasn't improved his standard of living. He's still right there doing what he does. All right? Same thing. Doing the same thing over thousands of years. But what can mankind do? Mankind can improve his conditions, can Now, David used this the other day. I think we've improved our condition a little bit. Y'all remember outhouses, don't you? <laughs> Some of us do anyway. We've improved that condition. You can think of a lot of things that have improved because I've got some you know, people about my age in here. I think about 50, 60 years ago, we think... Things have improved as far as technology goes. and Some things have gone backwards, all right, as far as mankind's and morals and values and that kind of thing. But I'm talking about technological things and improving the standard of living and that kind of thing. Man is the only one that can do that. Dog can't go build him a doghouse. He's got to have somebody else do that, doesn't he? Yeah, that's it. We can do that for him. We can improve his standard of living. But man does that for himself. Now, See, that's the kind of thing. He has a way of boiling it down to the essence, doesn't he? This is the difference in you and other beings upon this earth. Now look at point three. He gives another thing that man is endowed with. Man is endowed with an attribute called emotion. Just like you have intellect, you have emotion. Now with that emotion... What does man do? Well, he can despise. 2 Samuel 6, 17 says that, And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, saw or looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. That's an emotion, isn't it? You can despise uh, in your heart. Uh, then it says, you can also desire. Romans 10, 1 says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. You can desire. You can despise. You can desire. And then he brings up love. And you can, Matthew twenty two thirty seven says, Jesus said unto them, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. You can love. That's an emotion that you have. And you can trust. Proverbs 3, 5 uh, says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and learn not 
and lean not on thine own understanding. Uh, if I left anything out there, I don't think so. All those attributes we have, animals have that? No. Again, they react on instinct. You know, if, if you feed the cat or you feed the dog, he might hang around your house. That's because he's getting some food. That's instinct. He, he needs that. You know, but he doesn't have that same kind of love that you can understand and have for others. Because it's on a whole, a whole different level. Questions, comments up for now? I'm just kind of rolling through here, okay? Point four. Then uh, God gave man a will. Now look at what that means. Uh, with which he determines, 1 Corinthians 7, 37, says, Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having uh, no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his own heart that he will keep his virgin doeth well. You can determine you're going to do something. You can make up your mind, I'm going to do it. Animals can't do that. Again, it's into You can, though. You can determine that you're going to do something. And you can intend. Matthew 4 12, I mean, excuse me, Hebrews 4 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even the dividing of the Son, the soul, and spirit, and of the joints and the marrow, and is discerner of the thoughts and intents of man's heart. God can know what you intend, but you can intend, okay, unlike an animal, because you have a will. You can do that. You can also purpose, Acts eleven twenty three, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. You can purpose you're going to do something. You can determine, you can purpose, you can think about it, you can make it happen, and you can obey. Romans six seventeen said, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. You can't obey and you can obey because you think about it and you determine it and all those kinds of things. Now, you can teach a dog to obey, but out of instinct, right? You know, he, he's obeying because of the treat you gave him or because you whipped him or whatever you did to make your dog do something. But mankind has that ability because of what God gave him. And then, point five, he says, man was given another faculty called conscience. Now think about all the other living beings on this earth. You know any of them have conscience? Go back to those two dogs I was talking about. That good, healthy dog beat up that other dog that's scrawny because he's hungry and takes the meat away. You think that hurts that dog's conscience? Not in the least. He doesn't have one. All right, Mankind does though. And because he can think and, and because he has emotions and because he has a will, then that builds that conscience, doesn't it? Because you can think about the things that are taught you. 1 John 3, 20 and 21 say, for, it is, uh, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. Your conscience can condemn you or not condemn you. Now, your conscience has to be trained correctly, doesn't it? We know that. You know, if your conscience is not trained in the right way by the truth from God's Word, then you can believe something's right that's wrong. And something's wrong that's right. You know, I, I can't, and this is my biggest example of this. You know, we have people that believe in the Muslim religion. 
What do they think is a good thing to do? Strap on something, go blow themselves up, and kill a bunch of people. How in good conscience could you do that? Well, you got to be trained like that, don't you? You got to be taught that. You got to go through all these things. You got a will and an intellect and all those kinds. And somebody's teaching you that. You're being trained that that's a good thing to do. And your conscience doesn't condemn them for that. Whereas ours would if we did things like that because we've been uh, taught differently. Uh, and the last, look at that last little paragraph there. Our last sentence on point five. So, man was fearfully and wonderfully made, an intellectual and moral being capable of companionship with his creator. God has magnified him. Think of all those things we've just gone through that God gave us. Why would he give us that kind of thing? We're made in his image, right? He wanted to have companionship with us. Remember in the garden? They walked with God, didn't they? They talked with God until they sinned, okay? And sin separated them. But God wanted a relationship with us and gave us all these capabilities so we could have that kind of relationship with us. Questions, comments up to this point? Obedience. 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 Not thinking about obeying. Mm-mm. No, I'm going to do it later. It's obedience. Obedience. And love is more than just an emotion. Mm-hmm. It's an action. It is. It requires action. And well, Christ said, if you love me, you keep my commandments, right? So, you know, that, that, that's... But can you will to do that with your emotions and your intellect? and all? Yeah, you can. You can determine you're going to do that, can't you? And then act on it. But you've got to act on it. You don't show it until you obey. Yeah. You can sit here forever and in church and hear, I need to obey the gospel, I need to be a member of the Lord's church. Just because you're thinking about it, you intend to do it, it's not showing you love God until you do it. That's right. You've got to, you got to put it into action, right? Uh, again, Old Testament, New Testament. Faith and obedience. That's what God has always wanted. Faith and obedience. When he got Abraham, told him to offer his son, what do he want? Faith and obedience, right? He's always wanted faith and obedience. And of course, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, whatever he tells you. He wants you to believe it, but then he wants you to have that kind of faith that causes you to act on what he said. Okay? And that's what you're talking about. It just hits me so because we put things off. We do. Nope. A lot of times we have not. So the main point that I drew out from all of that, there's no other creature on earth like mankind. No other. No other creature on earth like mankind. No other creature on earth made in God's images. No, we're it. But there's no other creature on earth like that. Uh, and then it gets down to man's position in God's creation is that of a tenant. We are here. God made the world for us to enjoy. I love one, one little sentence there. I'm not, we're going to run out of time. I'm going to move on a little bit. God expects us to use his world for our comfort and happiness and then leave it behind. You know, we're just passing through. Let's remember that. 
Now, does he expect us to do things while we're here? Oh, yeah. You know, we got to work. We got to provide for ourselves and our family. We're going to provide for our comfort. You know, we may raise our standard of living. All those kinds of things, but it's going to end. And we're going to pass on. You know, you know how, how I, I, you, don't, you don't know, and I don't know either, how many billions of people have lived upon this earth before us. Earth's still here. They used it like we are. They used it for their benefit. They grew their food. They, whatever they did, they used it. But then they're gone. But we're in the same boat. We're using it for our benefit, and then we're gone. We're stewards of it. You know, we're stewards of God's creation. We're, we're supposed to take care of it. We're not supposed to waste things and that kind of thing. But we are stewards, and it is not forever. This, this world, in the, he, or 1 Timothy 6, 7, he quotes and he says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we're going to carry nothing out. Nope. It's like that old saying, what is it? Uh, you don't see any U-Hauls behind hearses? No, no U-Hauls there. They're not taking anything with them. They're not moving off and carrying all the stuff with them. It's just going to be them. All right? It's going to be you when you pass away. Okay? You're going to leave everything else behind. Uh, then he says, that's what happened in point two, the rich fool. You remember that story in Luke chapter 12? You know, he said, I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to be a bigger barn, so take that easy. He got everything kind of backwards, didn't he? He put all of his faith in this world and all the stuff he'd accumulated. Oh, I'm going to have this, and it's going to do me for years and years and years. Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. And I'm, I'm pointing, I know a lot of y'all are too, you know, retirement and what you got built up and how long is it going to last you. And this, Well, that, that's fine, and yeah, we've got to kind of think about those kinds of things, but we don't know how much time we've got left. We could, we, we, we could die going home today. And then all of whatever we got built up, we're going to go somebody else, you know. And so, yeah, those things are important. We need to think about them, but that's not the most important. That's something we've got to deal with right now, but it's not eternal, okay? It's, it's an earthly thing. Turn to the next page, page 140. He makes this point. Man, as part of being man, is a sinner. You know, I read that part in that first paragraph about what it said in the Baptist Church Manual. Inclined to evil, therefore under just condemnation to eternal ruin without defense or excuse. Man is a sinner. But as he makes the point, God did not create man a sinner. No, he didn't do that. Man became a sinner by his own choice, by his own volition. He became a sinner. Uh, Ecclesiastes, uh, see if I can, how much I skipped here. Uh, hopefully I put that one down. Ecclesiastes 7, 29 said, Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Man chooses to be a sinner. Matter of fact, uh, he makes this very important point because many religious people believe that we inherit the sin of Adam. You can't inherit sin. Now, sometimes you'll have to deal with the consequences of sin, if somebody in your family, your dad or whatever, you know, they're doing bad things, it may cause you earthly consequences. You may have to deal with those, but you cannot inherit the guilt of that sin. Matter of fact, look at 1 John 3, 4. 
Whoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. That's one way we sin. If God says don't do it, and we do it anyway, that's a sin. Baby can't do that. Okay? Baby can't choose to disobey God. They don't, they don't have that wherewithal yet. They don't have that understanding. And then look at uh, uh, James 4.17. The other form of sin, you know, there's commission and omission. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Not only can you go against God's command, but you can also say, I'm not going to do something I should do. Okay? Not, not just willfully break a command, but just say, eh, I don't think I'm going to do that. Well, then you've got the sin of commission and omission. And an infant can't do either one of those. So sin is caused by your actions, what you do, what you choose to do, by all of those things we just talked about, by your intellect, by your emotion, by your, con- uh, by your uh, uh, will, all those kinds of things. We have that ability, you know, but little children don't. They don't have that ability. Yes? Why do people say we have a sinful nature? Well, and what does that mean? sinful nature, some, uh, some versions of the Bible, and I talk about the NIV in particular, there's others, that translate every time the word fleshly is there, they translate it sinful nature. The Bible does teach us that we have to war against our fleshly desires and the fleshly wants and everything in this body. But to say that man has a nature that he's inclined to sin, I think we're going a little too far. And those, if you look at the uh, people that uh, translated NIV, they were many denominational people that wanted to get that idea across because that's what they teach, that man is totally depraved. No, that's not true. That is not true. Man has a choice. All those things we talked about over, you got choices. Now, are you in a world where all those things that tempt you are there around you? Yeah. Do you have to war against the fleshly desires of the body? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. But God didn't make it where you couldn't resist it. I can't quote the 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 book, chapter, and verse right now, but it says, with every temptation, there comes a way of escape, right? You don't have to. God's going to give you a way of escape. That's right. It does. It does. It puts a lot of it on God and takes sinners, yet Christ died. And uh, point two, God gave 
gave his son as a sacrifice for man's sins. John 3.16. What a marvelous gift. Man was given the gospel and the power to save his soul. What redeeming power? Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And man desires, uh, God desires man's salvation. Is that not interesting? And is that not a wonderful thing? God wants you to be saved. Uh, first Timothy uh, 3 and 4, for this is good and saved in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants all men. He's not up there trying to knock you down. He's up there cheering you on. Please do what I say. I want you to be saved. I want you to spend eternity with me. Please do what I say. So he, he's not trying to knock you down. And then the last point is man is a servant. The two points he makes there is a man is a servant of righteousness, to do what's right, to be a servant of God, or man is a servant of sin, a servant of God. You only got two choices. 